0: Turn with me in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. We've been talking about intentional relationships. As you look at this passage, you have the husband-wife, you have the child-parent, you have the, the employee-employer, or you have the slave and master, who in our culture would be the employee-employer. The all of us, someplace in life, are involved in one of these, if not all three of these. So that's where, when we come to this section, we're talking about intentional relationships. The theme of the book of Colossians has to do with the preeminence of Christ. So how can I demonstrate the preeminence of Christ within these relationships? Specifically today, for instance, how can I demonstrate the preeminence of Christ in my home or in my parent-child relationship? We've already looked at the... uh, Guidelines for marriage in verse 18 and 19. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, marriage partnership, which is 100 percent, 100 percent. There's no, there's no uh, 50-50. You're all in. Uh, and we've also looked at marriage. Marriage is a responsibility. We have the wife submit, the husband love. The wife's submission isn't conditioned upon the husband's love, and the wife's, the husband's love is not conditioned on the wife's submission. This is, this, is, this is what's to happen. Sometimes you get, you get confused and saying, well, a wife is supposed to submit, so therefore the husband was supposed to be the leader. Well, that's true, but her submission, submission is combined with his love. It's about a lot easier for a wife to submit if she knows that her, her husband loves her uh, unconditionally. So marriage is a partnership, and marriage is a responsibility. Now let me, let me put a disclaimer across this message. Uh, this, is a, this is not a difficult topic to preach about, because it, I'm, I am drawing it out of the text. But in uh, some respects, in preaching about this, I don't want to come across as I'm the expert. No, I don't, I don't have a perfect marriage. I have a good marriage. We work on it. Carla has a lot of patience, and I still love her. So we just, we work on it. Okay? We're not perfect parents. But you that have parented, you know that it's an investment of time. And you you need to put forth that. We don't have perfect kids. The point is, I'm not an expert. I'm not perfect in these things. But the things that I'm trying to draw from the Scriptures, I I hopefully are practical as we think through these, even as we think through last week's message, and we look look at today's message about the parent-child relationship. Verses 20 and 21, specifically what we're looking at today. This is God's principles for parenting. you ever had this experience? I've had it many times. Of taking your child to the grocery store, they're, they're fine at home, happy-go-lucky, they're doing great in the car, but as soon as you get them in the grocery store, it's like they're the devil. <laughs> they're screaming and crying, I don't know if it's overstimulation from the food, that they see or what, but it's just they've gone absolutely crazy and you're you're thinking, what did they do with my child? As soon as you walk out of the grocery store, everything's fine again. It's just like they they choose that time to act up when they were okay. Well, this is is a situation. A man in a supermarket was pushing his cart along and among other things in the cart, he was trying to help out his wife because she wasn't there, was a screaming baby. And as the man proceeded along the aisles, he kept saying, very quietly, he said, Keep it calm, George. Be quiet, George. George, be still. Don't yell, George. And a lady who noticed, of course, everybody notices the screaming baby in the grocery store, watching with admiration, actually walked up and said, "Uh, You need to be commended for your patience in trying to quiet little George. And he looked at her and said, Lady... I am George. <laughs> All right, we're going to sing a closing hymn, and we're done. You probably won't remember anything else about the message. You'll remember that joke. But, uh, it probably was a true story. Anyway, God's principles for uh, parenting. Uh, verse 20. The, the duty of the child. Let's pick on the child first, because that's the order it comes in. The duty of the child. Children... Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing uh, to the Lord. Just just three things. And I'm going to kind of talk through these. There's the message to the child. Obey. Obedience. There's the measure in all things. And of course, there's the the motivation is well-pleasing to the Lord. Let me just talk about obedience because I think this is the key word to, to key in on here. Not that these other areas aren't important. But, uh, my understanding of this, this, this is a present tense verb. Verb means it's action. Present tense has that it's to be continuous action. So this is, this is something that the child does. But it's more than that. It begins with an attitude. To come towards something with an attitude is, I'm going to obey. So it begins with an attitude. It begins with Listening. I mean, the most important thing you can teach your children is listen, to listen, and that no means no. So it's, it's, it's an attitude, it is with listening, it's auditory, and then it comes and proceeds to that of an action, with compliance. It's habitual, it's voluntary, and it must be submissive. to They the come to their parents. Now, the measure is all things. Obviously, a child is not to to obey their parents if their parents' command or instruction is in disobedience to Scripture. If it violates Scripture, the child has to make a choice. But in doing so, they can still do respectfully as they talk to their parents and hope their parents respond properly. And then, then of course, the uh, motivation is because it's well-pleasing to the Lord to satisfy, to please Him, to be unselfish because it's pleasing to the Lord, to willingly seek to please someone else, to live in the bigger picture of life, not just for the moment, in all things, well pleasing to the Lord. We, and we have the same problem as adults or as parents, we live in the moment, but if you can help them to see the bigger picture, this is well pleasing to the Lord, the bigger picture is beyond what's happening today some of you have heard me talk about it before the 200 year plan. The 200 year plan well first of all I'm not going to live 200 years. So why should I have a 200 year plan? The idea is the things that I do today are going to impact the next 200 years or how are the things I'm going today to today impact the next 200 years. That's the bigger picture. Not just living in the moment but looking towards how how the time investment I'm taking in my child's life today, how is that going to impact them for the next 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 200 years? How is the things that I'm doing at my employment today, or in my marriage today, going to affect my children, their children, the co-worker I have for the next 200 years? Let's, the bigger picture, help our children see the bigger picture, not just living in the moment. It's well-pleasing to the Lord, the bigger picture, not just the moment that we live in. Okay, duty of the parent. Duty of the father or parent. Now, uh, fathers, now Paul uses fathers here to show their strategic role. But what do you do about the single family or single parent home? How does that work? This, I believe, the strategic role of the, of the parent or the father, the Greek word I believe, allows for the inclusion of mothers, which is consistent with the, the uh, participation of both parents. You have Proverbs 1:8 and also in Proverbs 6:20, where it talks about, "And forget not the instructions of your mother." So bo- both parents are part of this. So that's why I've drawn to this aspect to think, the duty of the father, strategic role but the duty of the parents themselves. If you're a single parent, one of the, by the way, one of the most difficult things to do is to be a single parent. And, and hopefully if you, if, if you know someone, or you identify those that are even in our congregation may be a single parent, you, it'd be a great help if you come alongside. You don't have to get directly involved in their lives, you don't have to become their parent, but to be able to know that, that you're there to help if necessary, or how you can. Single parent is a difficult thing. Fathers, do not provoke. Provoke means to stir up. It means to poke with a sharp stick. It means to create resentment. If, if I had a, 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 um, a broomstick, unless I, I sharpened it to the, the point of a, a sharp as a pencil, and if I had Pastor Phil come up here, and I poked him with that stick, he in hard enough, he would say, well, ouch, you know, don't poke me with that stick and if i ignored him and i poked him again a little bit harder he said please don't poke me with that stick and if i went to go to poke him a third time he would back away protect himself and said i'm not going to get hurt anymore when when a parent provokes their child he's poking them with a sharp stick to the point that they actually will shut down and withdraw and i've said this before to parents one of the if your child it doesn't matter what age they are. Stop talking to you. There's a problem there somehow. There's something. There's something that has is, is, is troubling that child. Now it may not be you, but it's your responsibility to find out exactly what that may be. It may be something that happened someplace else. To identify that. So don't not provoke your child. Uh, do not provoke your children. It's your children, lest they become discouraged. Now that the mumbling you hear in the background Jose is translating for a Spanish lady up on the balcony okay don't let that bother you right focus in focus all right uh, engaged it's your child it doesn't mean you can't have impact on somebody else's child but you truly you need to be engaged with your child and encourager well the opposite of discourage is to encourage you can get a lot more with honey than you can with vinegar That does not mean there is a place for discipline, an exercise of discipline. But rather than picking and identifying every time the child does something wrong, have you ever sat down and identified something they did right? Again, this doesn't matter what age they are. They could be grown and gone out of the home to to be an encourager. You you actually never stop being a parent. Even when your child's gone, you may not, they still have choices and decisions they have to make on their own. But at the same time, you're still the parent. And there will be times you just step in and encourage them along the way. Let me share this verse here. This is the, this is from the DVB version. Davies Version Bible. All right. Train up a child in the way he should go. And walk there yourself once in a while. Train up a child and the way they should go and walk there yourself once in a while. Put your feet in their shoes, not that they would fit, but try to understand how they walk. For instance, here's the child walking through the grocery store. What, what shelves does he see? The bottom two. You're up here, you usually see the top two. Put yourself in their shoes sometimes and you, to see what they're living through, what they're going through to help not just to identify them, but understand why they're doing what they're doing sometimes will help you to encourage them in the proper fashion, the proper way. Parenting, and I've said this before, it's one of my favorite statements. Parenting's like holding a bar of soap. If you squeeze a bar of soap, it shoots away. But if you hold it too loosely, it slips away. Parenting is not an easy task. It's serious business, but it's not necessarily an easy task. Now this what I'm going to share with you next is not Bible. This is not Bible. This is something I came across years ago. I tweaked it a little bit just to help us think through it. And, th- and, and here's the thing. If you're a grandparent, sometimes grandparents think, I'm done. I did my job. I'm walking away. But the, you need to understand, as, an, as a grandparent, you can have an incredible impact still on children or teens in the church, let alone your own grandchildren. And to help you do that is, I think, to understand the stages of a child-parent relationship. You can still, even as a grandparent, you can still have that impact. You have no idea. Who's looking at you or watching you? So these stages that, that I want to share with you, this is not Bible. The child, ages one to seven. This is time of control. These this is the, the time to teach timeless truths. Why can a why can a, a family live in another country when their child is going from one to four years old? move back to the United States, and that child can speak perfect German, like a native. Why is that? Because we, we refuse to believe that a child can learn. And many times those, those first six, seven years may be the most important years to ingrain and implant in them the true, the timeless truths of the Scripture. Again, grandparents. Or you're teaching a Sunday school class. You're involved in the nursery. This is, this, is, this, is, this is prime time in 1 to 7. I say control because it's pretty much, as a parent, they're not, they're not here to reason why. They're to hear do or die. In other words, you're, it's my way or the highway. But it doesn't last that way. It that cannot continue that way. Tweener, that's, that's something new. Maybe some of you are not familiar with that. But that's ages 8 to 12. These have been described actually as the lost years. The reason it's called the lost years because during these years the child seems to get no direction or no specific direction, no no uh, attention, so to speak. It's like okay, I did my job of teaching my first one through seven, and now they're kind of they'll kind of gravitate to the truth. And so no, it can't it can't be that way. It still must you still must be involved in that, and communication is going to be key here. Talking, listening, and understanding. And and let me let me add this. Don't listen for the right answers. Listen for their answer. And as you listen for their answer, it'll help you understand what their thinking is. Then you can follow up with instruction. As you communicate, ask questions. Remember, questions prick the conscience. Accusations close the spirit. You're trying to prick their conscience and help them help them think through what they just said to you. And why they said, what, where did they learn that? Probably from their peers. Or maybe they were over to one of their buddies' homes. So listen listen to this. this. This is a great time of communication. The next stage is, of course, the teen. This is 13 to 18. You could say 19, but it seems to be uh, fuzzy in there. This is time for counsel. Communication should still, should still be going on. They're facing peer pressure if they haven't already. They're facing acceptance. There, there may... When they come to you, sometimes they may just be unloading and not necessarily looking for a correction or a plan to make things right. But listening is going to be key to this time. And then you can respond with counsel. Point them, and let me me say this, because I was talking with Phil about this. During this counsel, this is going to be key for you. Whether you're, again, at what level you're interacting with this child, whether it's your child or somebody else's child, point them to Scripture. What does the Bible say? Let's, let's sit down, and you and I, we're going to pray about this together. What does the Bible say? What does the Scripture say? Point them to the Scripture. Help them to find, counsel them to find their answers in Scripture, in the truth, the timeless truth that you already taught them in the ages 1 to 7. Counsel them. Point them to Scripture. Then you have the young adult. This is 19 to 24. This is the time of application. Three things are going to be done during this time. Friends, lifelong friends, finances, and they're going to kind of determine, to a certain extent, their future. They're going to apply all the things that you've tried to implant and impress upon them. And then, of course, adult. This is 25 and beyond this is time of cooperation this is, I'm still interacting with my children, yes they're independent they're self-supporting, hopefully they're responsible but now we are in a friendship, we're equals I'm still their father, they're still my child but they're on their own I encourage, I support as best I can. Now did your parents do this? most parents don't do this Right? So, what does that mean? Don't forget, there's still the grace of God. Let me tell you this you can do all the wrong things, and your kid will still turn out right. Why is that? It's a grace of God. You can do all the right things, and your kid will turn out wrong. Why is that? They still have a will, they still have a will don't let the outcome negate your responsibility. And let me say again, you have no idea the kind of impact that you can have around the children that are around you, even if they're not yours the impact that you can have. Don't neglect that responsibility I have two sisters, I have four sisters in all, but two of my sisters they made some rough choices made some bad choices, and it it affected their future and uh, one time I sat down with my dad, being a know-it-all at the time. I said to my dad, I said, uh, how come I need my sisters? How come they turned out so rough? I mean, we both had the same parents. Both brought us up the same way. And he said to me, he said, Ken, two things. Number one, I believe in the sovereignty of God. This would be grace. But he said, I also believe that a child has a free will. He said, when I look back, the way I raised the girls, he said, I would not have done anything differently than I did. They chose to go that direction. What I'm trying to say to you is don't get yourself on a guilt trip because one of your kids didn't turn out the way you had hoped. We We have prayed for our children for years. that God will bring a, a godly friend another believer alongside them to have some type of influence upon them and we have seen that happen over and over and over again as God has brought another Christian friend to encourage them in their faith and in, in the struggles or temptations that they uh, may be presented with alright this is not Bible I'm just trying to be practical as you think through this responsibility of parenting and the influence that you can have as an adult even on someone else's children to understand where they're coming from or where they're at. All right, he says, don't provoke them to wrath. These, uh, how can I create a deep-seated resentment in my child? In other words, how can I provoke my child to wrath? This is not an an, uh, uh, all to end all. This is kind of part of the message where you might get into lists. They say, if I stay by the list, everything will turn all right. There is no list. You can do all seven things correctly or wrongly. There is no list. You need to, you need to covenant your children as a gift from God and work from there. But here, how can I provoke my child to wrath? There may be more things than this. Uh, ignore them. Please. Ignore your child. Don't waste time listening, laughing, or loving. That's in the neglectful parent, and there's a lot more of those neglectful parents in the world than you believe that than you would believe. Just don't, don't give don't waste your time listening, laughing, or loving. Indulge them. There's no accountability. Give them everything they want and give it to them now. If they ask it, you take I don't care if it's your last dollar, they're going to get it. Indulge them. No accountability. Give them everything they want. Give it to them now. They know that you're going to come through. Again, sometimes the best thing you can say to your child, the most loving thing you can say to your child, is no. Not now. Insult them. Never compliment. Call them names. Expect the worst. But in insult them. Remember some of the, the nicknames sometimes that children get? And they turned 16 or 17 and you're still calling them Sparky in front of their friends. And they just grit their teeth every time. Well, back off a little bit. Ignore them, indulge them, insult them. Never compliment, call them names, expect the worst. Intimidate them. Never forget a wrong. Repeat it often. Of course, discipline and anger. You're going to demonstrate to this child that you're in charge, no matter what. Intimidate them. I heard a story. A youth pastor was came to the church and getting to know the parents. And uh, he was over at one of the parents' home homes. And they... And they parent in front of the child proceeded to tell the youth pastor about something that his son had done five years ago. And the youth pastor could tell, as he was telling the story, that first of all, the son was uncomfortable, and so was he in hearing the story, and also that it had been repeated many times. And uh, the phone rang, and so the father had to leave the room, and as he left, under his breath, the son said... He makes me sick. He had been poked so many times with that sharp stick that he came to the point he resented his father. He was discouraged. Intimidate them, insult them, indulge them, ignore them. These are things or ways that you can create that deep-seated resentment in your child. Let me add this. How can you overcome that? I mean, what if you've done that? Your child needs to hear your words. I'm sorry, I wronged you. Let's pray about this, that God would help me not to do this ever again to you. They need to know that you make mistakes. And you know how you treat people, how you treat your children? And you wonder why they treat people the way you treat people? It's because they're watching you. They're watching your model as you're modeling for them, whether you think, think so or not. Let me end with, end with this How to parent on purpose. Accept my child as a sacred trust from God. It's a stewardship, it's a privilege, it's not a right, it's not an entitlement. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. I have a heritage. I have children. But that heritage, you know where that's from? That's from the Lord. Not my heritage. It's his heritage to entrust me with. To accept my child is a sacred trust from God. I still remember when Kathy was born, our oldest. Carl and I are both youngest in our families. If you know anything about youngest in their families, they're entertainers, and they're very selfish. Because we always, you know, we always got, we got away with stuff that our old elders never got away with. So here we are, we're married. You have these two very selfish people married to each other. And again, set by the grace of God, intervention to help us to grow up and mature in our faith, and grow up and mature up as people. But I still remember when I held Kathy in my, in my hands the very first time, it just was overwhelming to me, the incredible responsibility that I had. And, and I probably grew up 10 years just in that one moment. Listen, this is a, it's an incredible responsibility. It's a heritage of the Lord, and we need to accept it as such. Secondly, partner with God in training my child to love him and to be a leader for right. This is a great passage, Genesis 18, verse 19. Uh, God had appeared to Abraham. Abraham had entertained him as well as two other angels. And God was debating whether to tell Abraham about what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. That He was going to judge them. And he decides, you know what, I can trust him. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, says, this is a tribute to, to Abraham's faithfulness. For I have known him in order that he may commend his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to be righteous and just. He says, I know you, Abraham. I know where you're going. I know that you will train your children to be righteous and just. That we would partner with God in training my child to love him and to be a leader for right. I've told you this before. We, I, I remember, we had the two boys, uh, they a couple years, or less than a year apart. I remember uh, the pastor's mother saw us at church, and she walked him and says, two little preachers. Praise God, you got two little preachers. It just kind of struck me, because I didn't think it that way. This is what I thought. God's going to have to make him preachers. Maybe they're going to be two little farmers. Maybe they're going to be two little bookmakers. Maybe they're going to be two little engineers. Isn't that just as important? I wanted to train them to be leaders for right. I'm just as proud of my daughter, who's a stay-at-home mom, as my other daughter, who's teaching in a Christian school. They're doing what God has called them to do. Does it, does, just because you have two little boys, you're going to have two little preachers that the girls are second class and don't count? Doesn't God have a will for their lives too? To, to, in, to in tune into your children to be leaders for right. As it turns out, one of them's in the ministry and one's in the military. I'm just as proud as one in the military as I am in the one in the ministry. As long as they're leaders for right, So we want to partner with God. If we're going to parent on purpose, we want to partner with God in training my child to love him and be a leader for right. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, speaking of Abraham. Third one. Love him or her unconditionally. They need to know this. Even when you have to discipline, they need to know you love them. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is discipline your child. By the way, let me ask you this question. Why do you discipline your children? Well, my dad disciplined me. One of the reasons you discipline your children is to help them to learn self-discipline. So they discipline themselves. You ever have parents come up to walk up to you and said, you have the nicest children. They just spent the whole day at their house. You say, you have the nicest children, and you're going like... Whose kids are you talking about? We have a daily struggle at home. Well, what is starting to happen is the consistency in your discipline is starting to have an impact. That they discipline themselves when they're away from the home. Luke chapter fifteen, of course, as you know, is a story about the prodigal son. Let me let me read these two verses to you to, to get the flavor of what I'm talking about. The prodigal son on the left gone his own way, done his own thing. He's He lived on the wild side, came to the end of himself. He was eating the, the pig's food in the pig pen. And he said, you know, my father treats his servants even better than this. I'm going home. I'm going to go home and tell him I made a mistake. I was wrong. He had his inheritance, spent it all. So he's going home, and he arose. He came to his father. Well, when he was Still a great way off. His father saw him. And had compassion on him. Now, this is key. The son is coming. He sees him a far way off. He doesn't know why the son is coming. He doesn't know what the son's going to say. But he still loved him. He didn't agree with his lifestyle. He sent him on his way. He knew that he was going the wrong way. But he still loved him. And when the son, coming back, he ran, he fell upon him, he had compassion upon him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But where did he go? He went home. Because he knew that his father still loved him. He knew he could come home. We need to love him or her unconditionally. They they must know that. Listen, that doesn't mean you tolerate their sin, your accepted lifestyle. But you but you must they must know that you still love them unconditionally. As hard as that may be. Provide corrective guidance and discipline that is fair firm and consistent. Of course, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 4 to 6 emphasizes there, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. There's both preventative correction and there's there's discipline correction or instruction. You have preventative instruction. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. You're trying to prevent them from committing harm to themselves. Then there's corrective instruction, corrective discipline. This is when you actually have to discipline them. And, And understand this, we practice corporal punishment, but that is not the only way to discipline your child. Taking away what they love most, in this day and age, it might be their iPad. You're doing it for a reason, you're doing it for a purpose, to help them... Understand self-control, self-discipline. I still remember, uh, and I told this story before. My son uh, called me said he was having trouble with his son. He just—it didn't matter how much they spanked him or how hard they spanked him, he just—he just wouldn't behave. He'd go back and do the same thing. And uh, I had said to him, I "said Well, think creatively. I mean, think outside the box. I mean, is that the only way to discipline a child?" And then later he called me back, and that week, and he said, uh, "We made him." put down and stop what he was doing. He had to go sit on the bottom step of the stairs going upstairs. And he had to sit there quietly for five minutes. And he said, we, we walked away and put the little timer on and stuff, and all of a sudden we hear this wailing. And he thought, what in the world did he do to himself? And he walked over and he was sitting on the step just crying profusely. And my son said, well, what's wrong, Ethan? And Ethan said, I don't want to sit here by myself. Well, that was probably the most corrective thing he could do to him to understand that he couldn't behave the way he was behaving. Provide corrective guidance and discipline that is fair, firm, and consistent. This probably is one of the, one of the areas that... Um, I taught a class at college called Home, uh, Christian Home. And in talking to the students, this, this uh, area of discipline, fair, firm, and consistent was the area that the the students felt most inconsistent in the homes they grew up in. These are Christian kids. So be fair, consistent, and firm. Last one. Live the word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 to 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. By the way, let me back up. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through nine, is considered the, it's called the Magna Carta of parental responsibility. Long explanation. It's worth reading. Deuteronomy chapter one or chapter six, verses one through nine, the Magna Carta of parental responsibility. The last section of that, in verses seven and nine, says or six to nine, and and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them in the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. Live the word. We, if we, we need to be role models for our children. Have you, you've heard the, the expression, "More is caught." than taught. That's parenting. It doesn't matter, again, whether these are your children you're parenting, whether you're involved in some way with young adults or teens. They're watching you to see how you're going to handle pressure. How you're going to respond or react to it. Caught or taught. It doesn't negate the responsibility of teaching, but understand they're watching you. You are a role model to them. I want you to see this video. I'm watching you, Dad.
1: Dad, you don't know it right now, but I'm watching you. Watching the things you do. I'm watching the way you treat people. The way you treat me and my mom and my sister. The way you live your life is having a big impact on me. When it's time for me to choose a career and provide for my family, you are work ethic will be on my mind. The time you spend with me, even doing simple things, will give me a sense of security. There will be times in my life where I struggle with integrity and I may be not sure what to do. But I will recall how you stood up for what was right. Even if you could have looked the other way. I love the choices you are making, I will also make. Please don't be afraid to show me your failures, to show me your mistakes. I will learn from them. Dad, are you listening? I'm watching. Watching to see if you really believe what you say about God. I need you to help show me the way. Show me how to live life that isn't safe, but is good. So I'm watching you, Dad, every day. You're teaching me how to live, whether you know it or not.
0: Let's stand together. I'm just going to close in prayer and then uh, we'll we'll, we'll sing a closing hymn but I just want to encourage you uh, you may not have children at home but if you have grandchildren or if you're interacting with children maybe you're a little league coach you maybe have some young adults that you work with and they know that you're a Christian you can make I'm just telling you you have no idea what kind of impact you can make if you take your responsibility seriously and those you are around. Even other parents, to encourage them in their faith, in their walk of the Lord. Father, we pray, as we come before you, we pray, Lord, for your your wisdom. You've said if we ask for it, that you give it to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us do better than we know how. You know our own insecurities, our own self-centeredness, Our shortcomings. But yet, Lord, you are grand and you are bigger than all. You know, Lord, that we often live just for the moment without even thinking of eternity values in view. Help us, Lord, to take that long look, that big picture. And we do pray for our children, Lord. We pray that you will help us, on one hand, not to be naive that there is real evil out there. But the other hand, Lord, I pray for that hedge of protection of holiness. Round about our children, our children's children, protect them from evil, from the evil one, from evil influences. And we pray, Lord, that you may bring about godly men, godly women, godly other godly children who love who love God, who are trying to live for Christ, that they will align themselves to be an encouragement and a bond of continuing to live and work and look to you. We pray, Lord, as we go forth this week, that you will direct us specifically, even as we're challenged, that we may live and focus upon you as we impact those in and around us for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.